Redactions and Reactions, A Fire Burns in Paris, and A Master's Hangover, this week on Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors, a look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. And as always, we look forward to hearing from you. Ready to get this show underway. We're going to start, as always, with a look in the rearview mirror, things that we saw last week. And first up on the board, uh, Chris, we'll start with you. The ratings showed that uh, a good deal of America watched the Masters and saw Tigers win. Uh, but are there some broader thoughts, uh, a little bit more uh, that you want to think about? I mean, we saw weigh in from past presidents, current president. So there were there were plenty of people, plenty of reaction saying that this was the greatest comeback they've ever seen. Uh, what exactly does this mean for Tiger moving forward? I mean, he's he's 43 years old. Uh, we understand that the impact that he's had on the game of golf over the past uh, 20 years. What are some of your broader thoughts on on what we saw, Chris? So golf. I think more than any other sport pays immense homage to um, those players that have gone before. It's what allows Jack Nicholas to still come out and tee off at events. Um, it's what allows older uh, athletes in golf to continue to play, even though that they don't have a real chance of, of winning. Just having them on the course uh, is good for the sport. It really doesn't have an impact on how the event is going to uh, to come out. Mm-hmm. And I think Tiger Woods was was on the verge of heading down that path. He won last year, but I think he wanted an event uh, that was not really one of the major events. And so I think that uh, he was on the path of being one of golf's elder states people. Uh-huh. I think with this win, he's back and he's a competitor now, both in his own mind. And I think he's back in the minds of the fans. And probably more importantly, he's back in the minds of the competitors that are playing today that really never had to deal with him as the the formidable Tiger Woods that he was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. Um, so what this means for him is he's back. What it means for golf, I think, is huge ratings. Uh, and then it's just, um, I, I will tell you, as, as somebody that has skinned their knee on, uh, on occasion, it, it is really nice to see him put – uh, the demons behind him, both uh, from a personality standpoint and from a health standpoint, and really start this second act in his career and life and, and move forward. So, I mean, that, that's sort of my broader thoughts on on that win. Okay. John, how about you? Chris makes a great point there at the end that America forgives. We're going to get into this probably uh, in the context of the Mueller report here soon, but America loves a good reclamation story, um, probably a lot more than, than any other culture or any other country. Um, uh, the second that he started making his run, the second that Molinari and Kepka and Poulter all went into the water on 12, and people started saying, he could do this. Um, even before Sunday, I think that there was buzz, but 
Now it's a reclamation story. It, we're not that far removed from him getting his ass yanked out of his car on Percocet and whatever the hell else he was on mm-hmm. and, getting a, and getting a DUI. We're not that far removed from his wife putting a seven iron through the windshield of his car. So that, there are a lot of people out there who can take notes on Tiger Woods' reclamation story. Was there any bigger jerk-off on the planet a couple of years ago than Lance Armstrong? Yeah, and, and if I'm Lance Armstrong, if I'm anyone who, who has become the villain in the eyes of the, of the American public, you sit there and say that the, there's a good chance the American public, if you, do your, if you do your thing right, that the American public forgives you. And sometimes the media really helps you do that. Jim Nance staying completely quiet for two minutes uh, while Tiger hugged his kids, and, and then they played that comparison to him hugging Earl Woods in 1997 to him hugging his kids today. Mm. I, I know I cried, and, and I know that I texted you guys immediately and said, yeah. if you're not crying today, you're wrong. And a lot of America cried, and that's the reclamation story they love. The sequence that you just brought up uh, was um, quite compelling. Uh, and as it played out, uh, as we saw, whether on television, whether through social media, uh, really captured what you, you both talk about uh, in terms of America, our collective uh, ability to forgive and, and desire uh, the comeback story. Um, and, and, and we just we saw it play out right in front of us. As I had mentioned before, quick notes from uh, Clinton, quick notes from Barack Obama and also uh, the, the current president. So just um, amazing to see uh, the breadth and, and, and weight of individuals who weighed in uh, with their congratulations uh, on what they were seeing, Steph Curry, Serena Williams, and more. Um, so that it really just amplified the significance of what he has been through, mostly by his own, his own doing, whether it be actions or, or his health. So, so yeah, just uh, really amazing uh, to watch the climb back. And, and Chris, as you mentioned, you know, where's, where does it go now? Where does it place him? in terms of a, uh, a competitive, a top competitive golfer uh, in this whole thing for however many years he chooses, uh, barring, you know, again, you know, barring uh, injury, um, you know, how long can he uh, sustain that and, and continue to be on top? Uh, chase, chasing that record, chasing that, that major's record. Well, let's, let's look at the fact that, that the U.S. Open is at a small golf course out on the West Coast that he has – absolutely owned from time to time in his life. And to Chris's point, he did win last year. It wasn't a major, but he effing won at Eastlake. Yeah, that's, that's no track. That's not like Bay Hills in Annapolis. He, he <laughs> wanted a good course, and, and that started this, this journey. And if I'm Jack Nicklaus and, and Tiger's gonna, going to eclipse my 18, I'm thinking that he at least gets a little bit closer sometime this year because his game is perfectly suited for Pebble Beach. And you want to talk about a ratings bonanza, the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach this year. Right. Gentlemen, moving on, uh, a bit more of a a somber uh, topic. The Cathedral at Notre Dame uh, in Paris, uh, Paris, France, caught fire on the 15th of April. Uh, We uh, were glued to the television. Uh, watching this tremendous uh, and devastating fire uh, just uh, basically engulf uh, the structure that was uh, currently under renovations. Um, Lots of of talking heads on on media bringing up all sorts of possible situations, scenarios, what have you. 
uh, only to find out that it was, again, because it was under renovations, this was a report saying now uh, it, was, it was due um, to those renovations that were underway. But in a larger context, we want to talk about basically what's, what's happening afterwards, the reaction to the fire, uh, people wanting to uh, donate funds uh, to repair the structure, uh, and how we saw that play out across social media, um, people's react to, to that fire and juxtaposed to uh, other instances uh, where uh, we've had tragedy take place uh, and their reaction, both from individuals and from government. Uh, John, I'm going to throw this to you first. Uh, what did you see uh, in the fallout this week uh, from the Cathedral fire? I just felt bad. I, I think all they really needed was a couple of those, like, flying water tankers, right? Um, Surely surely you just. (laughs) That solves everything. You should have tweeted that out. (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm full of great ideas for putting out fires at at landmarks. Um, I was starting to think about it in terms of what those comparative things are. Um, The the World Trade Center towers coming down, obviously the, the one that's indelibly in our memory here in America. But mm-hmm. what, what's, what's a comparison in America to that? I've, I've been in that place. I went back and looked at uh, pictures uh, when I went there, when I was you, with- uh, You were clearly the only one to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, I, I remember it vividly being there as part of my trip to the Paris Air Show about like 13 years ago. Um, it's, it's interesting how the reactions came in and, and it makes you think, what are some of those other just valued landmarks out there that would change the collective consciousness of people uh, should they be erased from our memory? It, it hurts seeing the New York skyline and, and you don't see the Twin Towers. It hurts when I watch movies of old and it shows the Twin Towers. It's like, man, I really miss that sight line. I, I started thinking of what those things would be. Would it be Statue of Liberty? Would it be, I don't know, the, the, the Redwoods, uh, you know, up in Palo Alto? I, I, don't, I don't know. But that, that is a unique and a very important piece of history. And uh, it hurt to watch it come down. And it was interesting to see the reactions from someone is ignorantly saying just fly a floating or, or flying water tanker over it to Pete Buttigieg, who I thought really came off well by giving a very heartfelt statement about it in French. Uh, that's, that's just the difference between people and how, and how those reactions will stick with uh, the public and social media and regular media. All right. Chris, your thoughts? I didn't have the same... Um, emotional reaction that I think a lot of people did. Um, mm-hmm. I had never been to Notre Dame. I've been to Paris, you know, half dozen or so times and, um, you know, could appreciate the fact that, as John said, I mean, it, it had a, it, it had an effect on uh, Parisians and, uh, you know, those that had visited uh, Paris. But I, I found myself thinking a lot about how this, um, how everything is a tragedy. Um, and how people are immediately pulled into whatever that that tragedy is and whether it's sharing of photos from people being there and, um, or whether it's you know the speculation about how or why something happened or whether it's the speculation about how to you know fix the fix the situation that, that's going on i think that there's 
we're going to look at this and, and this is going to be the latest in a series of social issues or social incidents. And I mean, social from a sense of, you know, people coming together digitally to feel the, the issue, right? So because of social media, it wasn't just Parisians or, um, watching it in the street. People all over the world sort of signed up to, um, to, to be a part of this crisis and to, to feel the, the grief that those that were there uh, felt. And then, you know, that same self-identification has now uh, carried forward into the, the recovery stage in terms of making donations and providing suggestions. And I'm sure as they decide how to rebuild or if the structure looks a little bit different, um, you, you know, people will continue to, to be a part of that discussion. So I, I found from a, from a social and communication standpoint, I, I, I found it really interesting uh, and really compelling to watch, especially as somebody that, that just didn't have that same um, emotional connection to the cathedral. I will needle down a little bit further on, on that topic of the social reaction um, because at the same time, you can't, tra tragedy, um, when, when you look at, um, the scope of, you know, it was, it's just a very unfortunate, we, it's fortunate in that no one was hurt or killed, but you have this prominent, uh, historic structure that, that was, that was burned. You can't begrudge anyone wanting to help to restore that structure. You cannot. The social media impact or, or response towards whether it be Puerto Rico or the churches, the three churches that recently were burned in Louisiana, currently being investigated as a hate crime and the reaction to that. But the fact that people then play this game of well, what uh, what about what's the you know what aboutism that can drive you bananas? And you just you, there needs to be an understanding of why one thing carries uh, a wave uh, or 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 catches the prevailing wind, and the and the other does not. But but think about it, Bash. I mean, I get um, I get people signing up or selecting to be a part of something you know, exciting and special. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Presidential yeah. win, yeah. whether it's a sports win. But, I mean, we have the same fervor and same um, electricity now around tragedy or around certain tragedies. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. right. And so I, I don't know what to make of that. I'm in the same, I, I, it's like I do and I don't. Like, I, I do have an understanding. Like, I'm, like, I'm not... When people say, well, what about Puerto Rico and what about the churches in Louisiana? I'm not sitting there like, man, I don't understand why. No, I, right. <laughs> I understand exactly why. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised by any of it. Um, this is, yeah, this is, this is how this is. Um, and if you want to look, if you, if you want to affect some change or move the needle on something, then by all means you jump up there and 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 push as hard as you can but please understand the reasons why uh, the the fire in paris the tragedy in paris Un try to understand why it's going to get the billions of dollars 
uh, of of donations. I guess I, I think it's in the billions, right? Am I right on that? Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it it will like, be. Like that's just. Th- th- Listen, this is the business. This is the business we've chosen. Um, and the reason why things have an impact when, when broadcast through the media, the right media channels, or, or I shouldn't say the right, but specific media channels, it's going to catch more people. That's, that's, that's how this all works. Um, and, and this is the result, you know. Um, so I, 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 wish, I wish everyone well. Uh, on the pursuit of, um, you know, making things better. I really do. Okay. On that note, <laughs> let's move to speaking of making things better. Let's get right. To- exactly. Let's get to- it's a beautiful segue. Beautiful segue. Um, there was a, there was a report um, made public yesterday, uh, albeit not without a few redactions, uh, the Mueller report, uh, the long awaited Mueller report, two years in the making, uh, nearly two years in the making. Um, released to the public yesterday with with some redactions from the uh, attorney general's office, and I mean it. It was I, I tell you, it was driving me bonkers listening to the the lead up to like almost like a countdown, like a like a countdown to a rocket launching or something. Amazing, amazing to watch. But then once uh, and I don't know exactly who read uh, the entire, entire report. I know there were, there were people, depending on the news, um, the news outlet you were watching, um, had specific people reading through it, uh, but also needed, I didn't know that there were footnotes. Uh, maybe either one of you can, can elaborate on that, uh, as, as well, the, the, the footnotes uh, that were in the report. Anyway, um, this is where we are. Mueller report, um, redacted, maybe the full version will get to Congress at some point here, who knows, uh, after, after some legal fights. But what did you see? What did you, uh, of, the, of the things that hit the news for the past 24 hours, was there anything that stuck out? Do you think it's going to have any impact moving forward? What say you, Chris? I didn't think there were any aha moments in there. Um, I, I kind of felt like most of it we, we knew, mm-hmm. um, at least thematically. Um, I, and I think people are going to view the Mueller, the unredacted Mueller report through the lens in which they view the president anyway, right? I think if you're a president, if you're a supporter of President Trump, you're, you're gonna look for no collusion, no obstruction of justice. If you're, um, if you find the president's uh, behavior and you find the president um, just as a person to be objectionable, then you're going to look for for reasons where you know he was unpresidential, where there potentially could have been collusion if it weren't for the incompetence or you know conscience on the part of those around him, and the same with obstruction of justice. Uh, so I, that I would be me, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, and you are uh, you know probably about I don't know fifty percent of the country will view it the same way. Um, I'm in the camp of I I could care less. I I, I mean, and I hate to say that because it obviously was a significant event and will continue to be a significant event. Although there's a great story in the New York Times today um, where the they call it the drip drip. um, Mm -hmm. It as the countdown, Bashan. Yeah. This kind of slow bleed on the Mueller investigation and the Mueller report likely saved the president from a, a brand and a reputation standpoint. People like me are immune. I don't care. It's Easter weekend. 
I'm worried about what I'm going to put in the kids Easter baskets. And do I really have to go out in the rain on Sunday morning and do an Easter egg hunt? Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the, these are the things that I'm worried about. And I suspect that a lot of people are too. Now the question will be um, moving forward is do the Democrats and do um, people on the right that ha have trouble with the president's actions, are they able to kind of take the high points or low points of the Mueller investigation and turn it into something that make people like me care? We get through this weekend, we get beyond the drip drip and, and you know, sort of immune to the thematics of the whole thing and we start to care. I think that the Democrats, especially those running for president, need to make a quick determination. Can we actually make people care about what's in the Mueller report? If we can't, or if we question whether we can, then we need to push it aside and, and completely move forward because people are going to grow tone deaf and I think it'll actually backfire on them. A good take. Uh, John? I, I look at it as a communicator from several angles. Number one, again, we brought it up a couple of pods ago, but Ralph Northam and Justin Fairfax. That's the drip drip. That's the, hey, this thing will go away. Uh, it, it really will. Um, I count myself as a really avid non-supporter of this organization, as I've made very clear. And I just, I'm very resigned to the fact that this doesn't mean shit. It just doesn't. It'll go away. Nothing will come of it. And like a lot of the other things out there, uh, that we've discussed in the same vein as Northam and Fairfax and others, that if they wait it out, it'll go away. Mm. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, it's a different way of managing crisis communications. And as a crisis communicator, I'm very interested by that. I'm also very interested in the dynamic of communications and how it's emblematic of where our country is now. That, that one of the main commentaries on this entire report and its release it was summed up by donald jr tweeting out just two words told ya like is there anything more just juvenile and 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 ridiculous but that is that that's where we are uh where we communicate that's our discourse that's our narrative as a country right now and the other thing that really upsets me and unsettles me is the sarah huckabee sanders thing just this penchant and this complete disregard. Well, the penchant for lying and disregard of truth and civil discourse with the press corps. Um, it continues to really rile me up. They don't think there are any repercussions for lying to the press, for demonizing the press, for cutting the press out. And it's filtering through every single fabric of the government. Uh, when was the last time the Pentagon briefed the Pentagon press corps? Uh, when was the last time you had a press secretary just basically come out in a report and admit to lying to the press and have a job? But she's not going to get fired. So it, I look at it like that. It's very interesting to watch how, how we continue to communicate about controversy in this country going <laughs> forward. Like I said a couple of pods ago, I, I, I yearn for those good old days of Gary Hart and the 1984 presidential election where, hey, you did something wrong and you just skulked away and you stayed quiet and you went away. Uh, that's, not how, that's not how this country works today. That's not how politics works today. And we as communicators have to be on board with it. Ooh, wow. We have to, man, that, that just it resonate. You just, you just sort of hit me. Uh, and, I, and I know you're, and I know you're, you're right. 
isn't it? We, isn't it depressing? It's depressing. But we, we have, have to, to be, be on. When you say we have to be on board with it, I, no, no, I, I got to push back on that one. I, I, no, we have to. We have, we to, have understand to understand. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That that this dynamic exists. Yeah, that, exactly. That yes, we yes, are past. We are past the good old days of truthful narrative, and and that can be debated as well. I, I think people have been lying for since the beginning of time. But we as communicators have to understand that this is the dynamic in play and we have to adjust our game to play it effectively for the people uh, for whom we advocate um, and, and make sure that we give sound advice based on this landscape. I would love to change the landscape. I am trying to change the landscape. I am raging against the machine all I can. Uh, but but we as communicators and we as citizens have to understand that the Mueller report and the and the discourse and narrative that surrounded it, uh, that's where this country is now. And and when I say get on board with it, it doesn't mean just like, all right, well, I guess I'll just support it. I don't support it. I think it's shit. But I think that we need to adjust our games to play to play on this field more effectively. And I and and that field is wrought with things that cause injury. Um, it's I rocky. Mean, it's muddy. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's um, it, the, the the playing conditions. Um, I I I would say, and I and I know we're going through some sports analogies here, but those playing conditions uh, allow for career-ending injury, um, and it's it, it's not something that I. You know, I'm, I'm here. I am saying this, and we're doing a, a, a podcast uh, for for our business. Um, again, the business we've chosen, but it, it makes you not want to to be involved uh, in in that in that play. But um, not. Can I interrupt just for one? Yeah, second? please, please I do. Think that's an important thread that both of you have, have pulled on, and I want to pull on a little bit more. Not only does it allow for taking the analogy, not only does it allow for career-ending injuries. This is a plan that has been put into place that banks on the fact that either A, people are going to view it as the risk of ending their career, or B, they're going to go out there and play on this field that, that has been created and not know how to do it as effectively and therefore get injured or risk reputation. John, I think you, know, you, you really captured it well. Um, we are of a different generation. Uh, it's hard to think about that when you're 43 years old, but we are of a different generation and communicators either are going to need to get together and revolt against this way of communicating, or we're going to need to understand and learn how to communicate in this new environment. Um, because right now it's a, it, it, and I think this is what the Democrats are, are suffering from. They're playing by the more traditional rules and this other side is just on their own um, in a completely different neighborhood. Sorry, Bash. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and I've, said, I've said this before, I think, and maybe even on this podcast, that what you kind of need in this environment is some brothers right off the corner that are ready to play the dozens and just slam your mama jokes right down somebody's throat because they, cause that's kind of where it is. Like you want to, you want to, is this going to be name calling and, and a bunch of, uh, IDGF? I, I'm sorry. You I just, don't, you just yeah. described the white house communication effort. <laughs> right. <And> so, so, <laughs> yeah, bingo. So, so 
the the way the way to combat that is is you oh you want to go to war <laughs> like hey man let's let, let's really go and and who's ready and who's ready to 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 really go at it um i don't i don't know i don't know anyone who plays dirtier than the current white house and so you want to talk about playing an away game if we start trying to play that game with them um i i don't think anyone wins and i think it's exactly what that white house wants it's a hey i don't i don't give a shit if you think i'm telling the truth or not i don't give a shit if a report comes out and proves i wasn't telling the truth mm. you want to go you want to you want to play this game with me it's similar to the dudes who had the picture of michael cohen with the words liar liar pants on fire behind them you know in the uh in the senate committee um or the house committee it's it's just the way it's the way this current organization communicates and i don't i think you both get into the mud and fight everyone comes out dirty i'm trying to figure out how we communicate clean mm. and still win i i don't have that solution yet i'm really trying hard to find it but the, i think the way you do that and, and and it bridges into the the political right now that approach that's being taken um resonates with um 30 to 40 something percent of the country, right? If you believe the polls. And so until, I don't think the answer, as you guys have said, is to try to communicate in the same way to that other 30 to 40% on the other side, because I don't believe it resonates with them. What it's going to take is to start picking off, find a way to start picking off um, that 30 to 40% right now that this uh, new way of communicating resonates with and drive that number down. And once that number gets into the 20s and high teens, then I think, you know, the communication approach is going to have to change. But as long as the liar, liar, pants on fire and your mama and, you know, sort of this very aggressive uh, post-truth approach to communicating resonates with that 30 to 40 something percent, I don't know what we do. I don't, I don't mean to sound like the elitist that I proudly am. Uh, so I will just go ahead and say it. How do you, it, it, it comes down philosophically to how do you inject civility and education and common sense into that portion? Uh, because those are the, those are the Trump lovers. Those are the people who are like, yeah, stick it to them, you know, and, and I'm not saying that they're uneducated and I'm not saying they're dumb and I'm not saying they're un-American. I'm just saying that, that he has made this type of discourse attractive to that base. I don't understand that. I don't agree with it. I think it goes contrary to our, to our values as Americans and as citizens. And so those people who are on the fence with it, who are like, yeah, I think he's an idiot, but I still voted for him. That, that's the challenge is how do you inject the idea of being civil and being truthful and being good to each other into that group? I don't think you can. And that's what really just makes me sad. Let, let me, I mean, John, I mean, I have to be honest. I just filed my taxes. I don't think we talked about this last week. Mm. Um, I'm paying higher taxes this time for the first time in a long time, right? So that is the, the, honestly, beyond the, oh, I don't like the rhetoric, beyond I wish he wasn't mean or whatever. Man, he, he hit me in my pocket. So I, I, I'm annoyed at, at the president um, because of this so-called tax cut and, you, you know, all the nonsense that went along with it. I think until you show 
um, these folks in that 30 and 40%, the money, you know, show them something that improves their life or show convinces them that the people that are in Congress and in positions of authority understand and care about them. I, I, I don't think they give a shit about civility. I don't think they give a shit about, uh, you know, American values and all that. I mean, that's probably pretty harsh, but I don't think, I think for them, it's about, Hey, I don't have the things that the American dream promised me. Um, this guy has, has done a pretty good job of blaming people and things for why I don't have that. And um, I, I think I'm going to be sympathetic to his blame game until somebody shows me something different. I know that we can, uh, we can probably grind this into, uh, into sandstone. We, we may have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's put a tab in it. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to come back uh, to this topic. Uh, but right now we're going to move ahead. Took a look back on, on, in the rearview mirror, folks. And now it's time for us to push ahead. Uh, we're going to come back to you with Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. And we're back on Three Season a Pod, and it's time for Deep Dive. Folks, I know you love it. Uh, you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna to keep pinging on Tiger Woods here because I think it's a conversation worth talking about. Um, as far as uh, the communication atmosphere. Uh, so building on that conversation, let's talk a little bit about what it takes for an individual or even a brand uh, to recover. Uh, recover when it's lost its shine or suffered a crisis that's going to impact uh, their confidence or impact uh, the, way, uh, the way they're seen out in the public. Chris, I'm gonna throw this to you. Uh, what is it that a corporation or an individual is going to need in order to um, make that 180? First off, the disclaimer is, is this is through a traditional communication lens. We just talked about how there are parts of our society and parts of the communication environment that now don't view the world through that traditional lens. So it could be in the future that you don't even think that you need to recover because you don't recognize there's a problem and uh, you, you, know, you just keep going on as if there, there wasn't an issue. We are not those types of communicators. So let's, for the sake of this discussion, assume that you recognize there's a problem that you have done something or something has been done and, uh, and you need to recover from injury to your own reputation or the brand reputation. I see it as a four-stage process. One, that you recognize the problem. Two, that you make changes first sort of internally, whether it's you as a person grow or do the things that you need to do to fix your problems or the business fixes the things that got you to the, the injured brand Three, that you demonstrate those changes first to the group that's around you and two or second to the larger public. Finally, you show results that it's not just about, hey, I've made these changes, but that there are actually tangible results, whether it's as an individual, Tiger Woods wins another master's, or it's a brand that bottom line proves or uh, the product improves or something. So recognize a problem, make changes, demonstrate those changes, and then show results. That, that's my view of how you successfully approach a brand recovery. Did you, let me, let me say this, uh, John, before I throw it to you. Uh, Chris, did you see, uh, if I can make an, a comparison, you know, to Starbucks, where they, where, where that you saw that somewhere within these four stages, they did the same thing? 
I think so. I mean, you could argue with Starbucks or others, the um, effectiveness, but I mean, I think they saw that, um, hey, we have a problem that uh, people of color feel like we are not a, uh, a friendly brand. I don't know, because I didn't study this as, as much. I don't know how well they, what changes they made. I think they thought they made changes. Um, they may have combined too quickly steps two and three, the making of the changes and the demonstrating those changes. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people want to rush to the demonstrate the changes before they actually make uh, changes. Right. Um, and then I, I think the, the jury's still out on the results part. Okay. All right. Uh, John, where would you like to weigh in? I think that in the recognizing the fault and recognizing the the issue at hand that requires the change, uh, that's where you really need to inject sincerity. Okay. Talked about the lack of truth in the White House and the press secretary, but my belief is that you really need to have a nuanced, careful, and thoughtful um, apology and sincere acknowledgement of the issue that is causing you to embrace change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not change for change's sake. It is change because something has happened organizationally uh, or something has happened to your company that requires this uh, shift. And so don't, don't brush it under the rug. Uh, come right out. Apologize for it if it's something for which you need to apologize. And then, and then promise that change say that it's going to change uh generate buy-in as the book's title says so right. uh I, I think that sincerity is really really critical um so to tie it back into what we were just talking about uh you know last segment is if is that in the pentagon or the uh the white house press secretary's toolbox is she going to is she going to issue mm -hmm. some sort of sincere acknowledgement of the of the issue at hand I think it's just in our nature to try to try to push them through this lens. I just don't, I mean, I think they'll never get beyond step one, John, I mean, mm -hmm. to, to your point about sincerity and apologies. Exactly. And that's where, that's where I really believe as a communicator and as an advisor to companies and potential companies out there, that if you have a change that needs to be made, if you have, if you have an issue, if you have a controversy, acknowledge that quickly, apologize for what has happened, do so with sincerity and drive on. And uh, I think we'll leave it right there. Great deep dive, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, friends, stay with us. We're coming right back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Seas in a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three Season a Pod with Provision Advisors. Gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon at what the next week may bring. Chris, we're going to start with you. So I heard reports this morning that um, according to the Atlantic Magazine, uh, we can expect a video from uh, former Vice President Joe Biden this week announcing his entry into the 2020 presidential election. Um, one would want to see, um, following his earlier video, want to see what the announcement video looks like and then want to see what that does to both the Democratic conversation and how that will affect how the president begins to campaign. So that's what I'm watching. Here we go, Joe. A lot of people looking for this, I'm sure. This will be, this will be interesting. Uh, John, we're going to throw it to you. What are you looking at this week? All sports all the time, of course. That's my way. That's my shtick. Uh, there we go. NFL draft. 
yes. I, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that the draft is not really getting the pub that drafts of years past has. Um, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm interested to see really what, you know, the only, the only uh, story out there seemingly right now is the Kyler Murray thing and what the Cardinals are going to do with Josh Rosen. Um, so, so is that a lack of stories in the draft or just being dwarfed by Masters fallout, NBA playoffs, hockey playoffs? Because usually the NFL draft is a pretty big thing. So what, what's driving that? Yeah, I think that's it. I think that we're in the golden age of awesome sports. Tiger Woods just showed people what it is to like care about an emotional story. And it's not emotional necessarily seeing Sam Darnold in a $5,000 suit sitting in the green room waiting for his name to get called by the New York Jets. It, that's just not, that's not must-see TV. So I think right now you've got a lot of the, hey, we just had the NCAA championship. Hey, we've got um, the Masters that just wrapped up. And we've got a lot of other things happening in the sports world that are more interesting. Other than Kyler Murray, there aren't really the personalities out there to really uh, to attract the viewer. So I'm, I'm interested by that because I, I, I love the NFL draft. I love watching it. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I'm interested to see who gets to back up Joe Flacco in the, in the future. But I, I, it's just not making news. Okay. Well, uh, NFL draft scheduled uh, first round for April 25th. Uh, it's going to run through April 27th. Uh, one of the it, it is the longest uh, draft uh, of, of the of the four majors. Um, so uh, there's there's definitely going to be a little bit more of a ramp up, I'm sure, as that day gets closer. For my on the horizon, I'm all about Jeopardy James. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, please jump on this hashtag Jeopardy James. Uh, James Halshauer. That's H O L Z H A U E R Halshauer. Jeopardy James. This gentleman, a self-proclaimed uh, professional gambler from Vegas, is taking Jeopardy and turning it on its head. Uh, if you haven't been watching for the past, uh, I guess last night would have been his 11th straight win. Uh, this gentleman uh, has, is breaking all kinds of single-day uh, single records. Um, he, he previously had his own one-day record of 110,000, and on Wednesday just topped that by taking home a single day record, $131,000. If you remember uh, several years back, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Ken Jennings. Uh, he was the previous record holder. Um, and now this gentleman, uh, James Halshauer, is, uh, is zoning in on, on uh, Ken Jennings uh, winnings. This guy has a, just an utterly unique way of, uh, of playing the game. Uh, he goes immediately down uh, to the um, to the bottom uh, of each uh, of each row uh, for the largest value numbers. Makes incredible gains uh, in in dollar value uh, in searches for the daily doubles. Uh, once he gets to the daily doubles, he has that much more winnings with which to uh, with which to quote unquote gamble or or, or wager. Um, but you know, for as much as I've seen people talk about, like, oh, there's got to be a, uh, th th this is, you know, there's a cheating scandal. There's a scandal in here somewhere. Well, look, he's out there. He's answering the, 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 the right questions, responses with the right questions. Um, you got to be smart. Uh, and this guy is, is really making a lot of people tune into Jeopardy uh, to watch this thing. I don't know if either of you have had a, had a chance to take it in, uh, but I'm telling you, if you can, 7.30 Eastern time, 
uh, jump on, uh, on on Jeopardy or, or DVR this darn thing, uh, your your eyes are going to just be widened. That's my on the horizon. I want to see where Jeopardy James takes this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us here on Three Season a Pod. We always welcome your feedback. Uh, so please feel free to leave a comment below. Until next week, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three Season a Pod. Have a great week.